This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Not Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God our Lord and Savior. Amen. The Little Prince is unfortunately one of those films that I think slipped under most people's radar. Released exclusively on Netflix in 2016, a year after its initial release, it only recently, it's only recently come out on DVD, which allows people to take it home rather than just stream it. This is somewhat heartbreaking to me because this movie, or rather the story that it is based on, is one of the most well-known and well-beloved children's, children's stories in the world, and it remains one of my favorites. And as Linda told me before service, she used some of it in, their wed in uh, her wedding service. So it's been around a little while. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry, Bob. <laughs> Written in 1943, following, following the, uh, the Nazi occupation of France, this story is one of the most famous of children's stories in the world, and before Harry Potter came along, it was probably one of the best-selling of all time. But the, to summarize this movie means that I have to summarize both the movie but also the original story because when we sit down and we watch the movie, we find that there's actually two movies contained. There is the story about the aviator and the little prince, 
but there's also the story of a little girl in the aviator. So the original story tells of the aviator who crash lands in the Sahara Desert and who begins to fix his plane. And as he is doing this, he is met by a wandering little boy, or rather the little prince, who in his very first moments asks, or demands, I guess, that the aviator draw him a sheep. As the story continues, we learn that this little prince comes from an asteroid where he was the lone inhabitant apart from a single rose who he believes is the only rose of her kind in the entire universe. After some time spent adventuring, the little prince comes to Earth where he meets a fox and learns that even though his rose is not one of a kind, it is her connection to her that makes her one of a kind. The little prince, wanting to return home, realizes that the distance is too far for conventional travel, and so he allows a snake to bite him, which we as the audience are told allows him to return home. The movie brings us into the present day through the perspective of a little girl who is being pushed by her overbearing mother to put or to devote all of her time and energy into getting accepted into a special school in the area so that she might grow up and become essential. She is being trained to believe that when she grows up, what she must be is essential, that she must be an important part of the machine. The little girl soon makes friends with her neighbor, who is the aviator from the original story, and he begins to tell her the story of his encounter with the little prince. In time, though, she learns that the aviator is ill, and so she goes on an adventure to find the little prince so that the aviator might get better. Now, despite her finding the little prince, the aviator, in the end, still passes. But through the lessons of the story and through her own adventures, the little girl realizes that the aviator is not gone at all. Rather, because they have built this relationship, he is still with her because what the little girl realizes is that what is truly essential about someone is invisible to the eye. And that what is essential about a person lasts even when that person is no longer with us. Of the films in this series... This one is by far the least traditional as it deals with some really heavy themes of love and loss, of imagination and friendship. The reason I chose this movie for this series is because of what it has to say about love. I should note, though, that when I put this sermon series together, I set this movie on this day before realizing that tomorrow was Valentine's Day. So there's a little bit of a piece of perfect timing for all of you. So when it comes to the topic of love, I'm of two minds. On one hand, I think we get it. I think we understand love. I think we understand what love is. But at the same time, I don't. Now again, isn't that a pastor's answer? I think when it comes to the love that we have for, the lo for those who are closest to us, we get it pretty spot on. We may have our disagreements, and we may have our spats, and we may have our arguments, but by and large, I think that we do a good job of caring for one another. It's when we, have, it's when we start to extend love that it becomes more complicated. It becomes harder. 
And I think much of that is a product of just how disconnected we are in the modern world. The Little Prince allegorizes the disconnect that people have for one another by placing the people that the prince interacts with and soon the little girl interacts with on their own isolated planets. The climax of the story in the modern retelling takes place on a planet where the people have been isolated from each other for so long through the air of professionalism and essentialism that they've forgotten how to dream. They've forgotten how to love. The world, as it is, encourages us to hold each other at arm's length. It encourages us to hold each other at arm's length, especially here in modern-day America. It divides us and it separates us and it dehumanizes all of us. It strips us of our humanity in favor of turning us into cogs within the machine. When we have to deal with another person in an official capacity, we don't get to deal with that person in a way that is loving. We have to deal with that person in a way that treats them as just a cog in the machine. We interact with them as though we are taking part in a transaction, as though almost we're not interacting with the person at all. So a few years ago, I was at the Secretary of State. As I said, I think just last week or the week before, the Secretary of State might be the closest thing to evil that I can imagine. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. But anyway, as I was there, and this, the reason I bring this up is because this is one of those interactions that I don't think I'll ever forget just because of, well, let me get ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. As I was there, this older gentleman approached, approached the desk so that he could get help with relicensing his vehicle or something like that. And after waiting for his number to come up, he finally got to the front desk. But as it turns out, he hadn't filled out the right form. And so the woman behind the counter politely told him that he would have to fill out the form, go home, and then come back. At this moment, this man began to cry like actively, openly weep, because he had been there for four hours. And so he says an appeal to the woman behind the counter that I've been here for four hours, isn't there anything you can do? But here's the thing, within this context, the woman couldn't really do anything. She might have wanted to help him out, but thanks to the power of the machine that she was a part of, she couldn't. We stand disconnected. We stand on our own isolated planets that by design restrict us from truly connecting to one another. In a situation like this, there's little humanity that can be reached. The woman can express her sadness and her frustration over being unable to do anything, but at the end of the day, this man still has to go home and then come back another day and probably wait another four hours or so. As I said, this is an interaction that I don't think I'll ever forget because of how heartbreaking it was. And this is just one example. I'm sure every one of us, when we've walked into the Secretary of State, have had something similar happen. 
In our text today, we read 1 Corinthians 13, which is often known as the love passage or the wedding passage. And it's called that because if you've ever been to a wedding, I guarantee there's almost a 100% chance that you've heard it read. Thumbs up? Thumbs up. <laughs> okay, what was that? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of poetry, but the thing about it is that it's not just talking about love as it, remains, as it re relates to romance or to marriage, but rather it is talking about love with a capital L. Now, if I were a different pastor, I would go into detail here about what the Greek understanding of love is and about the different types of love in Greek, but I'm not really that type of pastor, just like I'm not the type of pastor who's going to stand here and make a Super Bowl joke when I don't really know anything about football. I would talk about the supposed different types of love, but I'm not going to do that because quite honestly, I think we focus so much on the different types of love that we miss the forest for the trees. So for the purpose of this sermon, suffice to say that love is love is love, and love is born of attachment, love is born of relationship, love is born of connection, and it's only through breaking down the divisions that we see in our world that we can hope to see love shine through. It could be argued that the core of the story of the little prince is found in the prince's interaction with the fox. And I think the movie agrees here because the little girl has with her a stuffed fox. And in the end, it is the theme of love and relationship and taming that the movie leaves us with. So what is it that appeals to what what is it about this that appeals to me so greatly? Why did I include this movie and not a fourth Disney movie? Well, it comes down to three valuable pieces of wisdom from the story, thoughts that I find valuable. And fortunately for us, all three of these are sentence-long quotes that can be easily repeated. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. It is the time you have wasted for the one you have loved that makes your love so important. Finally, one, risks, one runs the risk of weeping a little if one lets themselves be tamed. Within the context of this story, to be tamed is to be in relationship. It is to form an attachment to someone. When you... When you are tamed, you form a connection, and in doing so, you risk heartbreak because things happen. Bonds can be broken. While love might never truly die, there's still an end that comes. And that still brings heartache. And so what we realize is that it is the time spent with one another that makes others so important to us. It's the time that we devote to another person that makes that person so important. When we fall in love with someone, and you can take that however you will, maybe it's a romantic love, maybe it's a platonic love, familial love, whatever the case might be, when we fall in love with someone, it is undeniable that the love that we start out with is different than the love that we end with. Because we grow with a person, we understand the person, and time moves, and our love changes. 
When I arrived here eight months ago, we didn't know each other. I had not yet tamed you, and you had not yet tamed me. To me, to draw a quote from the story while adapting it to the context that I'm standing here in, you were nothing more to me than a church who is like a thousand, hundred thousand other churches. And I had no need of you, and you on your part had no need of me. To you, I was nothing more than a pastor, like a hundred thousand other pastors. But I came to realize if you tamed me and I tamed you, then we should come to need each other. To me, you would be unique in all the world, and to you, I would be unique in all the world. What is essential is invisible to the eye. And so here, eight months later, we are bonded. We are tamed to one another in some way. And maybe that, well, I should say probably, that will continue to grow. We forged these invisible bonds that draw us towards something greater. Now, as I said before, the nature of the world is such that it would break down these bonds, that it would dehumanize and that it would turn the bonds that we have with one another into commodities, into things to be bought and sold. In the movie, there is the imagery of the stars, which is important in the film, because the stars set people's minds to dreaming. But one of the characters is the businessman, and the businessman buys and sells stars. And in the movie, again, he puts all the stars into a great dome so that he can then just use them for energy. He turns them into commodities. The nature of the world as it is would have us disconnected and absent from love. And while we may, have, we may love in our own circles and in our own units, we would miss out on the love that is so desperately needed between ourselves and the people of the world. We would miss out on the love that's needed in our own community. And maybe, probably, that's by design. Because if we are connected, if we are well and truly connected and in love with one another, then in, and then in turn we will want what's best for one another. But if the powers of the world that be can cause us to hold one another at arm's length, then in turn it can encourage us to look away as another person suffers. How many things happen in this world that have us so disconnected that we fail to love? So to be crystal clear as I go into this next part of the sermon, this is not meant to be a blame-ridden sermon. As I, realize that, as I realize and I recognize that these things are so far beyond ourselves that we can't do much about it. Rather, it's an attempt to raise awareness because it's only through recognizing what is hidden that we can begin to work to undo the bonds of injustice, whatever that might look like. So as I alluded to a few weeks ago, how many hardships are there happening right here in our own community that we're disconnected from? How many people are hurting right here in our own community? And if there's that many that are happening in our own community, how many are happening across the world? I'm going to dip my toes into the headlines here for just a second. 
because you might have seen, you might have heard recently the hullabaloo about M&Ms making their mascots more diverse to appeal to the 21st century. Now, of course, this has set some people off to scream about how outrageous all of this is, while others praise the decision as some great and brave act. But I want to look past the drama of the outrage machine. I want to look past the distraction that is M&M's looking different. And I want to look at this all a bit deeper. Because if we look at this closer, what we realize is that Mars, the company that makes M&M's, along with Hershey and Nestle, is right now in another court battle as they're being sued for participating in child slavery. Slavery that's all but required to gather the chocolate that's needed to make candy at the rate modern consumerism requires. Because of the dehumanizing divisions that exist among us, because we're all kind of floating on these different planets, or at least that's how the systems that be would have us exist, we're encouraged to simply let this be. To turn our eyes away from the suffering, and in doing so, we miss out on what love could do. We are encouraged to live on our own little planets and turn away from the going-ons of one another. And in so doing, we miss out on the mission of the church. We miss out on that mission of loosening the bonds of injustice and letting the oppressed go free. Now, in this example, I don't even have the first guess as to how we can do that, at least not as individuals. Because these matters are big and beyond ourselves, but I do think that seeing rightly is key. I do think looking beyond the headlines is what's needed. That refusing to play the game of politics surrounding corporate mascots and instead focus on the very real issues that they're masking is essential. It's no great stretch to say that slavery is evil. And likewise, it's no great stretch to say the physical appearance of a billion-dollar corporate mascot is kind of silly. But if we don't listen closely, we'll only hear about the corporate mascot, and we won't hear about the slavery. Now, I don't mean to end this sermon on a low note, because, well, I don't. But this is something that I think about when I go to the store and I see the M&Ms and other chocolates that we eat so regularly, and I realize just how mundane all of this has become. The truth has become so buried to the point that often all we can see is what the machine wants us to see. The machine, so to speak, would have us so focused on what it, on what it claims to be essential that we miss out on what is essential. And really, that's the whole point. The system that exists wants us to be disconnected. It wants us to not stand for one another. And so I guess to move us towards optimism, I actually have to borrow from the lesson that we learned last week. And that is that in the face of the unfaceable, sometimes it's all we can do to do the next right thing. 
You and I can't fix the problems of child slavery and chocolate companies. You and I can't fix the true stupidity that's on display as everyone stares at Europe right now. But we can refuse to play the game of the utterly inconsequential. We can work in our own communities to see love increase. We can work in our own communities so that we might be better connected. We can live as children no longer, but rather as people who put the simplistic ways of seeing the world behind us. We can live for the benefit of our neighbor. Love, as I've said before, is the greatest renewable resource there is. There is no bottom to it. There is no end to it. And so the question that I leave us with is, how many hearts are there right now that need to be tamed? How many people are there right now that we need to let ourselves be tamed by? When I arrived here again eight months ago now, we were little more than strangers. But now to me, you are unique in all the world, and I hope that to you, I am unique in all the world. <laughs> when I look at you, <laughs> one in particular right now, <laughs> I see what is essential. I see a people who are worthy and deserving of love. And let me be clear in that, because this is something that I'm going to repeat a thousand times as I'm here, and that is that you are worthy of love. Period. You are worthy of love and you deserve love. No matter what the voices of the world, no matter what your own brain tells you, you are worthy of love and you deserve love. You are more than just a cog in the machine. You are more than just a lone being on some isolated asteroid somewhere. You are a human being. You are a child of God. You are created to love, and you are created to be loved. And so live as someone who lives to see what is invisible to the eye as someone whose heart is ready to be tamed. And so maybe, may we all live as a blessing to our community. May we live as those who are willing to be blessed by our community. May we share in the love that we hold in common, and may we see more clearly that what is essential is invisible to the eye.